أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه Welcome you our brothers and sisters and all our viewers across the world into our Islamica the continued day program that gives us the opportunity to address the day-to-day -day aspects of our life This is the first Wednesday of the month 2023 and of course to me to many <coughs> it's a new beginning but of course for every single one of us it's a new beginning every year especially as we understand that every single day is a witness so we want to be a witness for us and not against us so alhamdulillah we appreciate the day that Allah has granted us today it may be the third in the gregorian calendar maybe another different counting in a different calendar but all in all it's all part of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's sign and reminder that indeed inna fi ikhtilafil layli wan nahar inna fi khalqi samawati wal ard wa ikhtilafil layli wan nahar wa ma khalaqa Allah wa ma anzala Allah min as-samawati wal min as-samaa'i min ma'in fa akhraja bihi al-ard ba'da mawtiha that indeed and as the ayah goes and indeed <coughs> in the creations of the heaven and earth and the continuing and the continuous you know day and night that follow each other and of that which Allah has created in, in in heaven in terms of rain that comes down and it makes life again what has been dead of us and what Allah subhanahu has granted for us and that has spread in this world all these are signs for those who have got a mind that reflects so part of the day and night the day and night is a continuous side of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it brings a new meaning and becomes a reminder one that is going to be there to bear witness upon us that I came on this day and my your servant so and so was alive and he witnessed me as a blessing for him the day that brought with it the day and the night that brought with the time for him to have some rest <clears throat> so we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make every day an opportunity for us to better our relationship with him taking advantage of the blessing that comes with the every day seeking Allah's forgiveness for the shortcomings committed therein and also asking Allah to grant us more and more of blessed life and also more of the of the final triumph and victory come the day come the hour of reckoning and accountability allahumma amin so praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ask Allah to shower his mass and blessing upon his beloved messenger Muhammad ibn Abdullah his wives and family and companions are upon those who followed him or preceded him in the right path until the day of judgment allahumma amin <clears throat> i understand there are many callers there inshallah let me straight away take my first call for those of you who might be willing to send your questions you can send them on the whatsapp number on the screen and we'll be having your question inshallah addressed to accordingly uh, first caller assalamu alaikum your name and where you are calling from uh, wa alaikum salam sheikh naam my name is wakas naam how are you i'm okay brother wakas how about yourself yeah not too bad thank so you so where are you calling from today uh, i'm calling from london mashallah now what's your question uh, brother khas and my question is um it's about ihram so inshallah i'm going to do umrah in two weeks may allah accept you right um, now thank you so much and i will make dua for allah, everyone as well allah, 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 allah. um 
but every time I've gone to Umrah, I've always put my ihram on at a different location. Mm. So once I put it on before going mm. and before I get into the airport, mm. and the second time I done it in Jeddah, mm. and this is I'm I'm slightly confused on where to put it on this time. Mm. So I wanted your advice uh, where to put on the ihram to do perform Umrah coming from London. Okay. Jazakallah khairan. And um, that's a very good question. Um, Brother Wakas, first of all, I know we all understand what you are saying. And the terminologies you use in your question are very clear. But I just want to make one simple clarification to avoid this continued misnomer. Um, it can be misleading because it can make us forget the actual meaning, which is broader and bigger or more specific than the weight given or narrow meaning that could be given to it. The word ihram is an Arabic terminology specifically relating to the performing of Umrah and Hajj. And that is the only terminology that it is. Um, there is no any other way the word ihram can be used in Arabic in the Sharia sense outside the scope of Hajj and Umrah. So it comes with it different, you know, the specific meaning. So the word ihram technically, technically, it means being in a, is a state of being. It is a state of being. Someone would be in a state of being, for example, a, a newlywed. That is a state of, you know what, the state of being a newlywed, right? The state of being, if you've just got your new job, being a graduate, just finish your exams. It all brings a sense of mindset and also certain restrictions of freedom. If you're a newly employee, it would mean that you, there are times you won't be allowed to stay at home bound by the contract you've signed and uh, taken. If you're newlywed, it means now you carry different meaning. If someone sees with another person, you might be a suspect of having a relationship if someone is not related to you and no one knows, given the circumstances they find you. So the word ihram here means a state of being restricted from something that you would normally be allowed to do. So it's got nothing to do with the clothing. The dress code, the dress code is just one section, one small fraction of the entire meaning of ihram. So it means a state of being restricted from doing things that you would normally be allowed to. As a result, one of the things that we know you're not allowed to perform when you are in that state, you're not allowed to cut your fingernails. You're not allowed to you know, to use perfume, you know, allows to engage into legitimate relationship, consummation of marriage with your spouse. You know, allowed it to hand when you are in the sanctuary of Mecca alongside the other things you're not allowed it to do. So it's not just confined. It, it, upon no time does it mean the two pieces of cloth that you wear. No. Rather, you are also restricted from wearing certain clothing which you would normally be allowed. For example, in your ihram, you're not allowed to wear this as a man. A woman would be allowed to do that. So ihram, it has come to take different meaning, although it means a state of being in a restricted condition. And one of them to put on the two clothes. So it is a misnomer. These are called libas al-ihram. The word libas al-ihram, meaning the the clothing being dressed in a way that is specific relates to the restrictions. It's got nothing to do with the dress itself. So we call it al-izarin. Al-izar is the two sheet. 
So we have two izarani. So you always put on or you add on your two izars when you are in different three stages. You said one day you did before when you are at Heathrow, you put on those two izar, the two izarani, one on top and one that you know you wrap around yourself. So these are two called either. They are not called ihrab, but they are consistent with someone who is under those restrictions. When you put on those two clothes while still in London, you are not a muhrim. You are not under restriction. You, can, uh, you are allowed to do whatever you want. You can engage in two, for example, you can propose to someone for marriage when you are at airport or when you are on the plate. Maybe you're sitting, for example, with uh, someone, maybe a relative of a person who like you know, to marry. Maybe his uncle is sitting next to you, can discuss marriage and it can be done. And if he's a wali, everything can be finished. You have to, you know, it, it's okay. It is okay until you come to say the word, The moment you say that, Oh Allah, I am here to answer the call performing hajj or to perform umrah, then you are into that restriction. Now, there is nothing wrong if you can do it way before you come to the point. There is nothing wrong at all with that. But once you have said it, then you are into that restriction condition, into that state. The only condition, what you've got to know, it doesn't matter where you do it, especially as the Prophet told us in a hadith, uh, I can't remember, was Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu an, or Abu Huray, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam waqqata lil hajj wal umrah. He set up the specific stations for those who are performing, are coming to Mecca to perform umrah. So if you are coming to umrah, to from Medina, he set the point of al-juhfa or abiyar ali to be the point beyond which you should be, you should have made your intention. Okay? So the sunnah is once you are at abiyar ali, or Dhul Hulaifa, when you get on the bus, you don't make the, the sunnah is not make the, the intention when you are still in the, in, the, in the masjid. If you did it, that's okay. But don't go beyond the confines of Abiyar Ali, the confines of Dhul Hulaifa, or Yalam Lam, if you're coming from, from Mina, or that Irq, if you are coming from, from, from Iraq, or um, Al-Juhfa, if you are coming from um, al if you are coming from Palestine, if you are coming from Syria and Lebanon and Egypt, make sure you don't exit the point of Al-Juhfa before you make your intention. So it's okay. The only problem would be if you do it when you are outside the geographical area of Yalamlam, Dhul Hulaifa, Abiyar Ali, Al-Juhfa, that irq. Now, for those who are coming outside this, who are not going to call at every single one of these, then you can make your intention as long as you haven't entered the scope of Makkah, the area of Makkah. You know, once you're into Makkah, then it's, it's going to be a problem. Uh, oh, now, if you, if you are coming by plane, you would always be reminded that now you are approaching the point at which you should not go beyond without make or declaring your intention. Al-Ihram, when you make the intention of performing a hajj, meaning you enter the state of restriction. Just like when you say takbiratul ihram, in the prayer takbiratul ihram, sometimes they call takbiratul tahrima, means when you say Allahu Akbar for your prayer, it now becomes prohibited and unacceptable from you things that you would normally be allowed to do. For example, you know, looking for an eye on the internet, on the phone, or call, you know, you know, whatever, checking your WhatsApp message, it becomes haram. Although originally there is nothing wrong with that. So to put in a nutshell, inshallah ta'ala, make sure if you are coming from London, you can make your intention while still in London. That is okay. 
or whenever. But when they announce on the plane, they are telling you, make sure you don't exceed, go beyond this point before you can make your intention. Now, if you are intending to, uh, to land in Jeddah, then that would still be okay, but find out where do the people, who the residents of Jeddah, where do they normally make their intention and don't exceed the point at which they make their intentions be even lighter. Now, one of the questions that someone asked is, can I read Surat Mulk after Isha or does it have to be just before you go to bed? I would say, first of all, recitation of the Quran is an act of ibadah. It doesn't matter at what time you read it. Just like Surat Al-Baqarah, you read it anytime. I, I at least either you read them anytime, but it is a highly recommended, for example, to read Surah Ayat Al-Mu'awwidhata just before going to bed. But whenever you read it with the intention of, uh, of reciting the Quran, you get the reward for that. So there is nothing wrong you can read it before, but make it at least before going to bed as well with the intention of following the sunnah of Rasul or the recommendation of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, then if you do so, you are, you are following, you are abiding by the guidance of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Although before that, you can also do it insha'Allah ta'ala um, and you get the reward for that as well. Your second question is, can you please advise me on how to encourage a family member who doesn't perform salah, not interested in Islam. Instead, they say they would like to enjoy their life because life is for enjoying. That is a choice. That is a choice. But of course, when you see that kind of a person, first of all, don't take it personal. Don't, uh, you know, get angry. Uh, I know it can be very difficult for a member in the family, especially if the spouse, husband doesn't pray, a wife doesn't pray, it can make it very, very difficult and very challenging. And, uh, you know, you know, and you've got to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to soften his heart. Now, irrespective of, irrespective of, if someone does not deny, if he doesn't deny I don't, the, the, the legality of the salah, if he doesn't say, I don't be, believe in salah, I don't believe in it, I'm a Muslim, but I don't believe in Salah, then that is, you know, if he doesn't deny that, then of course he is a Fasiq. He is a really a wrongdoer. He's in denial of the truth by action, although not by belief or by intent, but he's a lazy and in, in, he's self-indulging into something that in a mindset that really cost him dearly on the day of Qiyam because as we understand the Salah is the first thing that Allah is going to ask us on the day of judgment. If it is found to have been observed correctly, then Allah will accept it and so will be the rest of our strives in striving in this world. Now coming to your question, I would say indeed, remember guidance comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The best of the best before had been in your position. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was the same position with so many of his uncles. Abdullah ibn Abbas, it took him so many years before accepted Islam. Uh, Abu Talib, his uncle died a non-Muslim. And uh, so many others as well. Um, they, they rejected Islam and they only, some of them embraced Islam at a later stage. This did not force him to cut them off. He did not, he still recognized, you know, the, the blood kinship and their lo his loyalty towards them and their rights over him and also uh, the, the, uh, the liability he has towards helping them in case of difficulty. Uh, Asiya, radiallahu anha, was the wife of Fir'aun. You know, you can imagine he had that challenge of her being married to a husband who not only disregarded the, 
you know, his duty was his creator by calling himself the creator, even if he knew that he wasn't. But she, you know, tried her best to encourage him to accept the message. And eventually she said, Rabbi ibn al-Bayt al-Jannah, he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to build him, you know, a, you know um, to compensate her for the difficult, the striving in this world, living that kind of person with a grandeur, you know, palace in Jannah, and also to save and protect him from Fir'aun and his community in this world. Lut was a messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was tested also with his spouse, his wife, who saw some meaning and kind, you know, you know, he let go, you know, he was sympathizing with the people who were challenging Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's, you know, uh, you know, guidance. And when the punishment came, he was punished. No Hali Salat was salam with his son, we all understand. And how he, you know, subhanAllah, you know, he, he rejected under the guidance of, the, of his father when he called on to him to join him in the ark. And he said, no, no, I don't care. You know, I'll be safe because I'm going to be, you know, seeking, you know, protection on the top of the highest of the mountains, the area. And Allah did not save him. Ibrahim, alayhi salatu, and his father, Azar, and so many others. So this should not be a put-off for you. The duty of the messengers had been to convey the message, but guidance has never been entrusted into their hands. I know it can be very challenging if it happens to a member in the family, but inshallah ta'ala, do what you can and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to soften them and make them see the light and the beauty of Islam. How are you going to do that? It will also depend on the choice of words that you are using. Remember, always engage in the path of inviting mankind to the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with, with, with wisdom and the best of the words, and also engage them and discuss with them to that which is better. Okay? So think about being positive. Uh, in your approach and the words you're using, inshallah, but also your own actions as well. Jazakallah khairan. Very many who do not want to be told off. Okay, let me go to my next caller. Assalamu alaikum. Caller, your name and where you are calling from. Assalamu alaikum. I got one question in my, in my salah. Naam. And in second record, after being shaved, I What is it that you forget? I forgot in second zakat. Okay. I have to stand up for third zakat. So I forgot to, to stand up for third zakat until, uh, until I finish the sharif. Mm. Okay, so you forget the second raka. And um, yeah, that, that's very, it happens. My dear sister, it can happen. To forget is a natural behavior of human being, and it happens when you don't know. Otherwise, you will not be called forgetting. Uh, if it's left deliberately, then that's not forgetting. That's being lazy and being sinful. So if you forget, this is what you need to do, my dear sister. If you understood your question very clearly, if you realize you forgot a full raka, right, and then you say, Salaamu Alaikum Warahmatullah, or you remembered before, 
as you finish Durud Sharif, that subhanallah, I forgot one raka. There are two ways here. Either you remember that you have forgotten one raka before you said Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. If you remember, if you do so remember before saying Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah barakat, then immediately stand up and make the full raka you have forgotten and sit down in your suju, in your tahiyyat, and read tahiyyat. Lillahi wa salatu and salat Ibrahim and Durud Sharif. And then, and then, because you had done less, you forgot, you had done less, and then you remembered you've done less, you went back and corrected it. Before you say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, do make another sajda. You read your tahiyyat and Durud Sharif, and then, and then, before you say, Assalamu alaikum, do make two sajda. And then you come from the sajda, you say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Some people, after the sajda, this, that sajda, they will go again to make tahiyyat all the way to the end. That's okay, but the most important one is when you make those two sajdas, then you say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. That is the first condition. If you forgo, if you remembered before saying, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. If you remembered, after saying assalamu alaikum warahmatullah, or someone told you, we've done less raka, stand up and make up for whatever you had forgotten. If it was one raka, or if it was two raka, stand up and make up and do exactly the same thing before saying assalamu alaikum, before saying assalamu alaikum, do sajida, and then when you finish the two sajida, you say assalamu alaikum warahmatullah to complete your salah, inshallah. The Prophet sallallahu has said, the people of this ummah have been forgiven two things. If you do something after, forg af by after forgetting, if it was out of forgetfulness, then there is no sin, inshallah, with that. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu ati'u allaha wa ati'u rasoola wa ulil amri minkum.